when I got sober in 1990. I just tell, tell you about the 1980s. You know, it was not a good decade. I got divorced. I told you in uh, 83, remarried her in 85, divorced in 87, remarried 90. I was engaged to two other women in between time. I was in the nut house three different times. I was in five major car accidents. I got shot at one night and I got cut up with a beer bottle and I lost a quarter million dollars. And I was thinking, this is going okay. This is going okay. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Hello, ladies and gents. That was the voice of Mr. Tim H. that you heard at the beginning of this here, episode number 188 of Sober Speak. And you will be hearing... As usual, so much more from him in just a moment, but first, a things a first. This episode is brought to you by Trudy and Marcos and David and Gerhard. Let me fill you in on what Trudy and Marcos and David and Gerhard did in their spare time. They went to our website soberspeak.com they clicked on the paypal tab and they made a a contribution muchas gracias trudy and marcos and david and gerhard this episode is coming right out to you i John M., just another bozo on the bus, will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table, and let's get started. Now remember, no matter who you are or what your past looks like, you are welcome here. It is an open table to all, and we are glad you are here with us. By the way, I just have to mention this. I have to mention this. I was at a meeting this week with and my friend named uh, Casey W. was there, and uh, he came up to me. It was an in-person meeting. And he came up to me after the uh, meeting was over, and he said, "Hey, John, I I really uh, enjoyed your podcast recently. I've been listening to many of the episodes." He says, "But I do want to point out, I just kind of fast forward through the first ten minutes." <laughs> And listen to the rest of the episode. What he was saying there, 
<sighs> he was saying that he's skipping past all moi's gibberish. And fortunately, I have a spiritual program. So I was able to take that to my higher power and I am doing just fine. But <laughs> nonetheless, thank you for pointing that out, Casey. All right. So if you are not joining us for recovery yoga and you have heard this in the past and you think to yourself, self, I surely should join that yoga meeting that John M. talks about. When is that again? And how can I find the information? Well, let me fill you in on that as well. It is on Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time in the Estados de Unites. Oh, I'm trying to do uh, United States in Spanish, but I don't think I quite got it uh, all the way there. I, I may have possibly been close, but I'm not really sure. Uh, once again, do not be jealous of my bilinguality. Nonetheless, it is on Sundays at 4 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time. And if you want the Zoom ID that is associated with that, go to our website, SoberSpeak.com, and click on Sober Resources, uh, one of the top tabs there, and you will see all the Zoom info, and you can join us. We would love to have you. And I say we, I attend most times, but it's not really me. It's a combination of uh, Tanya and Megan P., who put these things on and they do an absolutely fantastic jo job and as i heard emily uh, say once right after the class was over she goes i didn't even know i needed that today and that's usually what i think after the class is over once again you don't need to be a yoga bendy person you know like all flexible and stuff like that in fact i am not i guarantee you that um all you need to do is show up with uh a mat and a place to kind of uh, spread out. Well, you don't even need to have a mat, actually. Just some place to spread out. And what we do in the first half of the meeting is we do a, basically, it's a recovery slash AA slash Al-Anon type meeting. It's an open meeting. You don't have to be an alcoholic to come in. And we uh, do that for about 30 minutes. And then one of the ladies leads the yoga class on the second half of the hour. And uh, I absolutely love it. It's both yoga and meditation, by the way. All right, so on to what else do I need to know? Oh, I do want to announce this again. If you are in the North Texas area and you would like to join us for a in-person meeting, an open discussion meeting, which means that anyone can attend. You don't have to be an alcoholic to come in there. We have something called the Frisco Fourth Dimension Group on Saturday at noon at the Grace Avenue United Methodist Church in the city of Frisco, Texas. And once again, if you go to that website, SoberSpeak.com, and you click on the Sober Resources tab, you will see all the information there, including the address. Now, on to our featured speaker of the week, and it is Mr. Tim H. from the Louisville, Kentucky area. This episode, we are calling Do the Stitches and Leave the Pattern Up to God. Let me say that again, and he's going to talk about it during the episode, but I love it. It's Do the Stitches and Leave the Pattern Up to God. 
Tim has been sober for 31 years. In fact, we recorded this two days before his sobriety anniversary. Tim comes from an Irish Catholic family, and he was a basketball player in college. Tim has been married four times and divorced three times. Catch this, to the same woman. <laughs> I know we, I know there's a lot of people divorced and married several times within Alcoholics Anonymous, but four times, divorced three times, and wait a sec, married four times and divorced three times to the same woman, and he'll talk about that on the episode. Uh, one of my favorite quotes, uh, besides the, the title of this episode that Tim comes up with is, Keep a drunk in front of you at all times. And the implication in there is just keep a drunk in front of me at all times and it'll all work out. Just do God's work. Now, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I present to you Mr. Tim H. And we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this episode. Okay, everybody. So today... We are sitting here with Mr. Tim H. So, Tim H., I'm going to go ahead and have you introduce yourself, if you would. Give your sobriety date, if you would like to. And then tell people where you are living in here in the United States of America. Okay. Thanks, John. My name is Tim H. And uh, I uh, this coming Monday, interesting enough, my uh, sobriety date is April 12th, 1990. So on Monday, if I don't get drunk the next two days, I'll have 31 years of continuous sobriety. And my home group is the Lampton Group, and it's in downtown Louisville, Kentucky. And my sponsor is a wonderful little man named Don M. Ah, I think we're going to have Don M here on the uh, podcast here pretty soon. 31 years. Congratulations, Tim. That's absolutely wonderful. That's amazing. In fact, I just want to tell you, Don just celebrated uh, 40 years yesterday. Wow. Oh, very nice. Well, I'll look forward to talking to him very soon. And in fact, the reason, let me just kind of set it up here. The reason that you and I have been connected, if you will, is because we have a a common friend. Uh, Her name is Amy D. She has been on the, she has been on the podcast before. Um, You probably don't know this, but the title of her episode, uh, I absolutely loved it was um, prostitutes don't get sober on Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like it. Yeah, it sounds like it. That is like Amy. Yeah, Amy and I are in the same home group and uh, the Lampton group. And uh, I knew her father, Kenny, very well, who's passed away a couple years ago. And uh, Amy's a great AA, and uh, I just love her. Yeah, she talked about her dad a lot on that particular episode. It was uh, uh, heartwarming for sure. And uh, and is Don part of that group as well? No, Don, that's not his home group. Uh, he usually comes to share it my birthday every year. Uh, but he has always had a home group actually over in southern Indiana is where he used to live. And he's just stuck with that all these years. And the home group that you go to, is it is it like a clubhouse or is it a single meeting? Well, it's changed. Uh, for years, we met in the basement of a church, like where AA meetings are supposed to be. Uh, right. but, but then the church got into disrepair. It's a long story, but we had to move 
We actually have had our meeting in a clubhouse uh, prior to COVID. And then since COVID, we've been on Zoom and uh, just now starting to talk about getting back together live. Yeah, we uh, had um, we've been meeting live with our meeting that we have here in uh, Frisco, Texas. In fact, we just started another meeting uh, today. Uh, we uh, it was uh, it's called the Frisco Fourth Dimension Group is up here in Frisco, and so anyway, that's Frisco, Texas is where I live, by the way. And so we were able to crank that up, uh, and it was kind of interesting to have. Uh, a, a live meeting uh we actually yeah. passed the basket and everything like that and so yeah. you know things are starting to get back to normal yeah it will be interesting to see how this transition works i mean i, I think zoom is here to stay you know to some extent and has a, has a nice uh, uh applicability for a lot of older people uh, but i'm really looking forward to get back face to face with guys you know yeah me too me too all right, so let's talk about Tim H. a little bit. Obviously, you're there in Louisville. Did you grow up in Louisville? I did. <laughs> so Wrong. you are Irish Catholic, is that right? I sure am. And so in terms of recovery, uh, how did that kind of work into your psyche? I mean, do you think that the, your Irish Catholic upbringing either contributed to or uh, was part of your getting to where you are today? <laughs> well, I really don't think there's any doubt about that. You know, uh, I grew up in an environment where drinking was just a way of life. You know, it went with the whole Irish Catholic thing. And, uh, you know, I, I've heard somebody say years ago, and this was the way my family was, if anybody in my family turned down a drink, it's because they misunderstood the question. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so we just drank at our house. And if you came to my daddy's house, he put something to drink in your hand. That was just the way it was. And so, yeah, you know, and I'll tell you another thing, though. It's interesting. I was very conscious of the drink problem with the Irish. And, and in fact, in my senior year of college, <laughs> we had to do a paper for our history class. And I did the paper on how the drink had held the Irish back and their immigration in America. <laughs> the problem was so severe. I said, you know, so I did that thesis paper and I spent the next 27 years proving that I was right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I was very conscious of it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I look at my Irish heritage today in a whole different way, and it actually kind of upsets me sometimes when all the people think about Irish, they have to think about drinking, you know, that there's a lot more goes along with that heritage than just drinking, but we earned it, you know, I guess we've earned it over the years. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I don't know if you know him. Uh, he's another circus speaker, Bill C. from California. Uh, yeah, very well. Yeah. yeah. He says that whenever he addresses a group over in Ireland via Zoom, he says, uh, thank you. Uh, glad to be talking to the folks where you are the birthplace of alcoholism. And <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He's right on the money there. Where it all started. So you mentioned college there, too. I think you were a basketball player. Is that right? Yeah, I, of course, in Kentucky, basketball is a big deal here, right? And uh, my whole life, that was my goal, is to be a college basketball player. And I, I became very good. You know, I was an all-city, all-state player here in town. And then uh, got a scholarship to Division One College, St. Louis University. 
that was a big deal. Uh, you know, I was the first one in my family to go to college, much less go on a scholarship. And so at that time, St. Louis played in the same league with Louisville and Cincinnati and Memphis State. It was a big deal. And so it was kind of my childhood dream came true, you know, when I was 18 years old. So, well, then talk about, I mean, I'm curious about your, your, your drinking, uh, during that stage of your life. Was it, uh, were you fairly tame about it? Was it just kind of social drinking? What, what was happening there? No, actually I had got a hold of alcohol when I was about 16 and, uh, loved it and, uh, started to use it, you know, as I could, because like a lot of people, I mean, I was a really a shy, introverted, tall, goofy, you know, pimply type of kid that, Alcohol just made everything all right. You know, it, it became a solution for me. So within terms of my basketball career, it showed up very quickly. Uh, the first game of my sophomore year, which was my first varsity game, I showed up to the game uh, pretty drunk. <laughs> I showed up to the game pretty drunk, and the rest of the players recognized I'd been drinking and kind of hit me out so the coach wouldn't throw me out of school. And uh, and I say that because, you know, that was the most important thing in my world at that time. And that day, alcohol went right to the top spot in my life. It went right by that basketball. And from that point forward, uh, John, actually, alcohol and alcoholism would dictate almost on a daily basis what I did and who I did it with. And uh, I say that because, you know, after it went by the basketball, you know, it was easy to go by my education. It was easy to go by just about anything else that popped up. So uh, my my career, uh, I did play through my junior year. I got hurt uh, and couldn't play my senior year. But the alcohol had already taken a tremendous toll in my life by then. So you said you had, I think you said something earlier about you had 27 years to kind of do that research to prove that paper. Does that mean once you started drinking, I guess when you were 16 or whatever, you drank yeah. for 27 years? Yeah, 27 years, you know, I drank. And so I, I, I passed, uh, you know, being sober longer than I drank. and That's a good thing. But uh, yeah, I was about 16 when I started and was about 42, I guess, when I got sober. So were you able to, uh, did you accumulate uh, a lot of damage along the way with family and other members? Uh, talk, take me through that part, you know, kind of a, uh, a thumbnail sketch of those 27 years, if you can. Oh, wow. Wow. A thumbnail sketch, huh? Well, let me, let me just give you this then. Uh, I met uh, my high school sweetheart when we were seniors in high school and we dated for about six months. And then I went off to St. Louis to college and she stayed here. Of course, for the next four years, it was like on and off, you know, love the one you're with type of relationship. And, and so when I came back from the law school debacle, you know, I had to go live with mom and dad, you know, that's so kind of, what, a, well, hold on a sec. So you, so yeah. you went to law school during that time and there was, a Oh debacle. no, 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 oh. no. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I'm jumping ahead of my whole story here. Anyway. Uh, so anyway, by the time I, I was ready to graduate in uh, 1970, uh, my grades were good enough to graduate. So they told me I had to graduate, which I, I kind of wanted to stay around and keep the party going if I could, because Vietnam was going on at the time. 
that was not going real well in 1970. Now, three of my buddies had been brought home in body bags, and they had the draft lottery. That's when they drew your name, your birthday out of a hat to see when you were going. Well, I was like number six out of 365. You know, I made the top 10. So I, I was I was destined to be in Vietnam. And, and you know, and I was going to go, but uh, in those days, there were two ways you could get deferred from the draft. You could get married. And I thought, man, that's too drastic. Or or you could go uh, to law, uh, you could go to grad school. So I decided that's what I had to do. And I decided I was going to take the test to get into law school and get into grad school. Well, I took the LSAT and I got a bad score on the first LSAT and the law school turned me down. So I decided, well, I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to study for that test again and I'm going to get into law school. So for five weeks, I don't drink. I studied my butt off with this real smart guy who was right down the hall. But the day before the second test, for some reason, this is the way my mind works, I decided I'm ready for this test. I'm going to go out and get a couple of beers so I can relax, come by, get a good night's sleep, and take that test. I left on Friday afternoon for those two beers. I didn't get back to campus to the following Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Found out later on I rode around a city bus about a day and a half, and what I know today is called a blackout. You know, and I always tell everybody, I swear to goodness, I did not know what a blackout was until I got to AA. I didn't know. I used to start somewhere, end up somewhere else with a big old chunk of time gone. And I didn't think a whole lot about it. (laughs) But here's what happens. You know, you talk about your life starting to get unmanageable. Two two in the morning, I realized I was drunk. I wasn't going to take the test. But I went back to the dormitory. I found the real smart guy who was tutoring me. And I paid him 25 bucks to go take that test for me. And I'm not very proud of that. But in those days, you could do that way too easy. So he goes and takes the test. I stayed drunk for three days. I even forgot he took the test. Three weeks later, we get the results, the test the guy took in my name. Guy got the highest score in the history of the law school. (laughs) I want to tell you what, it wasn't very funny then. He doubled the score from my score, you know, (laughs) and I remember opening that envelope going, oh, you idiot. Look what you've done to me now. So I had to make an appointment to go see the dean because I thought I better get to them before they get to me. And uh, here I am, 23 years old, you know, the hero child, Mr. All-State basketball player. I'm standing in this dean's office and I said, dean, you're probably wondering about the difference in those two scores. Uh, Hey, listen, I decided I didn't want to be a, a lawyer. I, I let some other dude take the test. And he never said a word. But, you know, I always remember that because what went through my mind that day for some reason was, Tim, you know what the problem is, man. It's the booze. The booze took the basketball away from you. The booze took your chance to go to law school. And you know it. And at least for that moment, it was that clear. It just didn't last very long. You know, that was 1970. It was going to be 20 years until I showed up into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. But I remember that moment of clarity. And, uh, you know, I left there. There were two guys that I saw. They said, hey, you want to go get a drink? I said, yeah, I need a drink. This guy really messed over me. You can't believe what he did to me. (laughs) Oh, anyway. And then I came back to Louisville because I had nowhere else to go. 
you know, and I, I guess what I'm, I really want to say about this part of my life is here I am 23 and I am already pretty much spiritually and morally bankrupt. You know, uh, that part of our program sometimes we don't understand is that we lose money, we lose relationships, but we also lose that stuff deep down inside us. I think it's so important, you know, integrity and security and uh, trust in myself, confidence in myself. It was all gone. It was all gone. And uh, but I wanted to share with you, I came home and I got I met my old high school sweetheart. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen her in a long time. And boy, she looked really good. She was driving this little yellow MGB. I stopped and talked to her and she told me about this great job she had and about this great apartment she was living in. And I remember thinking, I think I'm falling in love here. <laughs> I think I'm falling in love. So we got together in August. We got married in November of 1970. You know, didn't want to rush it, you know. (laughs) So you want to know how the alcohol started to affect me and my my world and my family. We got married in 1970. We got divorced for the first time in 1983. We got remarried in 1985. We got divorced in 1987. Remarried in 1990 when I got sober. And then we got divorced again in 1995. <laughs> <laughs> so now, are you together today? Are you together today? Let, let me come back to that. Okay. And I lost the number there. Was that married and divorced three times? Three, Is that- that's three times. One, three times, two times uh, uh, drunk and one time sober. <laughs> <laughs> But also, you know, uh, I got into teaching and coaching because I did have a degree and, uh, and uh, I was a high school basketball coach and teacher. And uh, a lot of times I wasn't very proud of there, you know, showing up drunk to PTA meetings, and showing up under the influence, coaching basketball to high school kids. I mean, wasn't uh, wasn't the highlight of my career. And that was kind of early in my marriage through the 70s. And. And then, you know, I always kind of say it this way to people. You know, I got sober in 1990. I just tell you about the 1980s. You know, it was not a good decade. (laughs) I got divorced, I told you, in uh, 83, remarried her in 85, divorced in 87, remarried in 90. I was engaged to two other women in between time. (laughs) (laughs) I was in the nut house three different times. I was in five major car accidents. I got shot at one night and I got cut up with a beer bottle and I lost a quarter million dollars. And I was thinking, this is going okay. This is going okay. <laughs> you know, I always say it that way because, you know, I, I, I realized today that everybody knew my life was unmanageable but me. <laughs> Why are we always the last to know, you know? From 1982 to 1985, I went through five psychiatrists. That was always a simple deal. I kept them until they started talking about alcohol. If he talked about alcohol, I fired him, got me a new guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was taking every antidepressant they made in the 80s, drinking whiskey and beer every day. And I, if you're anybody's using that recipe, I want to tell you, it didn't work very good for me. But uh, so, yeah, uh, alcohol jumped right in the middle of my life and, you know, destroyed just about every significant relationship I had, you know, in, in my home and in my work. And, um, 
in, until April 12th of 1990. Uh, and we can talk about that a little bit. You know, it was pretty crazy. Let me take a little break here. We will be continuing our conversation with Tim H. in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at SoberSpeak.com. There you will find approximately other about 185 or so other episodes you can listen to for free. You can also find the donate button on our website, which you can use if and only if the spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right. Now back to Mr. Tim H. All right. So let's talk then about, I guess, your slide on into Alcoholics Anonymous? Do you remember your first meeting? Do you remember what got you there? Was it a, you know, in and out type of process? Talk to me about that. No, the, the, last, the last time I got thrown out in 1989 from my home, uh, I ended up living in a guy's, a uh, friend of mine's basement out in the south end of Louisville. And uh, it all ended for me, you know, in a, in a strange way, because I came in that night at that house I lived about two in the morning. Family I was living with was already asleep. But uh, I remember sitting on the edge of the bed and I remember drinking the last three beers he had in his refrigerator. and. Um, and I had the strangest feeling I've ever had, you know, a guy all clammy and prickly. And I, I thought I, I really thought I was having a heart attack because I can remember thinking maybe I better go to the hospital or emergency room. And I guess I passed out. I woke up the next morning, had the same crazy feeling. And I got up to get in the shower and on my way to the shower, something happened. Uh, it's, it's the easiest, simplest way I can say it. Something happened. I just broke down. Now, basically, I said, God, I am so tired. I've lost my home again, my wife again, my kids again, again. Please help me. And uh, I got shard and I, I went into my office. And by that time, I had gotten out teaching and coaching. I had started an insurance business. And usually my office is really busy. But April 12th of 1990, I got there at quarter to eight. I sat down at my desk and I didn't move a muscle until noon, four hours and 15 minutes. And you know, that day, the phone never rang one time and nobody came in the office that day. And, um, you know, the book talks about a moment of clarity and I guess that's what happened because all I could think about is it's over. And I reached in my desk drawer and there was a meeting directory of Alcoholics Anonymous, which a guy had given me almost two and a half years before. And that was a Thursday, April 12th of 1990. And I went to my first meeting on a Thursday afternoon, you know, and uh, I have never been not been back into the meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. Fortunately, I haven't had the consequence of drinking ever again. And uh, the obsession to drink for me was lifted, you know, pretty quickly. And I'll be forever grateful for that. Now, my obsession of self <laughs> I've been working with that for the last 31 years, but the, the obsession with drinking was pretty well lifted. Uh, and uh, I got involved in, into Alcoholics Anonymous. And I think the most significant thing that I could say to everybody is the one thing that I have done consistently and persistently for 31 years, an old drunken painter told me uh, really early on, he said, Tim, keep a drunk in front of you at all times. And no matter what happens in your life, you're going to be okay. 
And it's the only thing I keep a drunk in front of you at all times. Yeah. What, yeah. So I, I have a picture of that, but what do you think that means? Well, it means two things. That drunk can be in front of me as somebody I'm helping, or it can be, uh, it can be my sponsor. Okay. Who's in front of me, who's a drunk too. And, and, you know, we get help from both sides. We get help from people ahead of us and we get help from people behind us. And as I said, you know, that's the one thing I've always done over the last 31 years. I stay, very active. Our home group, and I'm sure Amy told you this one, is down in the uh, down in the hood. It's kind of down in the inner city. And uh, as a direct result of that, we get a lot of people out of treatment centers, halfway houses. It's a newcomer's meeting, really. And uh, so it's always fresh. And, and, that, and that works for me. I need to be reminded what the disease is about, you know. And at our home group, you don't have any trouble. <laughs> We see a lot of uh, drunk. We have drunk people at our meeting uh, very often, uh, and that's been really good for me. And, and I stay involved in, in, in working with guys almost on a constant basis. Mm. I love that. Uh, so, talk then about sponsorship a little bit. I, I'm curious because just you know the 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 type of group that is your home group and and you know what you see and you know your sponsorship and and how you see it and some of the experiences you've had there yeah well you know one of the things i'll share with you i i love our home group uh, one because it's a very diverse very eclectic group probably uh, if we have 100 people there, we meet three days a week and we'll have 100, 150 people sometimes. And probably half uh, that group is uh, white and half is uh, minority, half are African-American or Hispanic. And it's kind of work because the end of town that it's in and, uh, and all socioeconomic levels are covered, but mostly lower socioeconomic. And uh, that's been such a wonderful thing for, for me because in this world right now where we're living, where everybody's so divided, where people are choosing sides and there's so much division, you know, our home group is so eclectic and there's so much love and it's it, it's Alcoholics Anonymous at its finest. You know, we are people who normally would not mix, but what grows up amongst us is the fellowship is indescribably wonderful. And I got to tell you this story because a lot of the men that I sponsor are African-American men. And it's just because of where my home group is. Several years ago, I was down that way uh, and I was ready in my car to get up on the expressway and I got hit in the rear end. And the guy that hit me when I got out was an elderly black couple. All right. Now, keep in mind, we were just about three blocks from the home group. So we're in the middle of the street waiting for the police to show up. And I'm standing there. And all of a sudden, here comes two guys down the side of the street, both black. They ran over to me. They go, hey, Tim, how you doing, man? You okay? I go, yeah, guys, I'm all right. <laughs> that time, here come two guys down the other side of the street, both black. They ran over to me. He said, Tim, are you hurt? Can we help you? I said, no, guys, go ahead. Honest to goodness. About that time, a car came off the expressway. Five guys in there, all African-Americans. They jumped out, surrounded me and said, Tim, can we take you anywhere? Are you hurt? And I said, no, guys, go ahead. I'm all right. I turned around and that, that elderly black gentleman and his wife hit me, were standing there and he looked at me and went, who are you anyway? <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, what can I tell this guy? 
And I wanted to tell him, look, I'm just a drunk. And, you know, those guys are just drunks, just like me. And, uh, you know, but it was a, it was a neat moment because it reminded me that in Alcoholics Anonymous, we don't care about anything. If you want to be sober, mm-hmm. we don't care how you look, what your sexual orientation is. You're welcome. And mm-hmm. we're going to give you all the help that we can. So, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and that's why I love my home group. It's, it's been great. I've also heard you tell a story before, and um, hopefully you remember this. Uh, I'd heard it once before. You told a story about some, in your business, some messages you had got at work from your uh, assistant. Can can you talk about that? Yeah, that's when I was early in AA. And uh, of course, not everybody in the office knew I was, you know, getting sober. Some of them did, but we had a little receptionist who answered our phones. And so she didn't. So one day I called in to get my phone messages and, I, and she said, uh, okay, Tim, uh, here they are. Uh, Jim called and he said, thanks for last night. Joe <laughs> called and said, can he get together with you today for lunch? And, uh, and, and she's kind of hesitated. And I said, yeah. And she said, yeah. And, Jerry called Tim and he just wanted to tell you that he loves you. <laughs> and I said, Tammy, that was her name. I said, listen, when I get in there, we need to have a talk. <laughs> <laughs> and, and here was the interesting thing. When I got to the office, I sit down with this little girl and I told her that what was going on and, you know, that I was sober in AA and who these guys were. And I'll be darned, it turned out that she had a uh, dad who was an alcoholic and who needed help. And and her husband was getting that way. And so I was able to introduce her to Al-Anon and help both her dad and uh, her husband get into AA. So God works in strange and mysterious ways sometimes. So I know you have a business life as well. And and you referenced it a couple of times. Are you able to talk about... um, I guess what I'm wondering is, you know, how do you work the principles within your business? Uh, any experiences that you have there around your professional life and Alcoholics Anonymous? Yeah, well, I think the the way I could get across the best is tell you this one story. When I when I got uh, sober, oh, I was like, say, I owed a, I owed a quarter million dollars to people who really wanted it back. <laughs> They really did. And they, and they bothered me about it a lot. And, and I thought, this is not fair. I'm trying to get sober. And all these people can think about is their money. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I tell you, I, I would come to my office and I would start shuffling papers back and forth. And, and I would just start getting more fearful and more fearful. That self-centered fear would build up. And by, of course, I'm a drunk. I'm trying to think about one big deal, right, to come up with a quarter million dollars. And uh, by 10 in the morning, I'd be shut down back in my apartment, crawled up in a ball. You know, I mean, that self-centered fear was just shutting me down. So I'm in a meeting one night and uh, I'm whining about my business. It's going to bankrupt. And this old dude says, see me after the meeting. I said, OK. And so I saw this old guy and he said, what are you whining about? I said, well, my business, it's a mess. Now, all these people, all this money. He said, tell me about your business. I said, well, what do you want to know? He said, tell me about it. I said, okay, we open at eight (laughs) o'clock. He said, well, that's good, Tim. You be there at eight o'clock, Tim, not 805 or 810. You be there at eight. What's next? I said, well, I go on sales calls. He said, good, Tim, go on sales calls. What's next? I said, well, I go to lunch. He said, good, Tim, go to lunch. 
And Tim, come back from lunch. I thought, that's a good one. <laughs> good point. <laughs> What's next? I said, well, I come in and do my paperwork. He said, good. What's next? I said, well, work's over at 445. He said, good, Tim. Go home. Have dinner. Go to your meeting. Come home. Say your prayers. And then he slammed me with the big one. He said, Tim, do the same thing the next day. Mm. I was like, wow. What a concept. <laughs> You're like, do that every day. <laughs> and what that old guy was telling me, my sponsor, Don, you'll probably hear him talk about it, is giving it a name. That old man was telling me, Tim, your job's to do the stitches and leave the patterns up to God. Mm. You just do the little stitches, Tim, and leave the patterns up to God. And, you know, here's what I want to tell you, John. I started doing those stitches and, and I thought, this is dumb. This is stupid, you know, getting here on time and going to lunch. But I kept doing it right. I mean, I'm six weeks into it. I still owe $249,440. You know, <laughs> I'm thinking this is a slow boat, but I kept doing it. I have to tell you the sequel to the story. Uh, about four years later, all right, I came in one day. And there were four or five phone messages, just like I always have. And, and most of them were from AA guys, but one was from a reporter at our business paper here in Louisville. So I called this reporter and the lady says, Mr. Highland, we'd like to do an article on your business as the fastest growing of its kind in the area. And I said, well, thank you very much. I'm, I'm very, very appreciative of that. And I said, ma'am, what is it you'd like to know? She said, sir, what was it that you did that really turned your business around? <laughs> and I tell you, I had this one story how I came up with this great idea and I pulled myself up from my bootstraps and I rocketed this company to success. And, but that's not what I said. I said, lady, here's the deal. My office opens at eight. I get there at eight. I go to sales calls. I come back from sales calls. I go to lunch. I come back from lunch. <laughs> I went right through the whole thing. And at the end, there's like silence on the end of the phone. And the lady goes, uh, thank you, sir. We'll see what we can do. <laughs> <laughs> and what I'm saying to you is what I knew was <laughs> there wasn't going to be an article, but I knew I told her the truth that, you know, what works in every aspect of my life is to understand my job is just to do the little everyday stitches and leave the patterns to God. Do the stitches in my personal life, in my business life, in my A life. And what I found out is the stitches are simple little things, but I'm a big deal guy, right? And that's why sometimes I don't like to do these little stupid stitches thing. But when I'm stitching and not worrying about what the pattern is, it's the happiest and most content that I am. You know, and that's I say that to you because it's one thing that I carry into all aspects of my life. And it's really helped my business life and my personal life and, and certainly my A life. So back to your personal life, we had talked about divorcing your wife three times. And I think you said you wanted to come back to that when I asked if you were yeah. still with her today. Yeah, one of the things I like to share about that, you know, we laugh a lot about an NAA about relationship problems. And uh, I don't know that we're any worse than normal people, but yeah, we are. We're a lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to say this nothing was funny about that. You know, losing your marriage when you're drunk is one thing, losing it in sobriety, really tough. And when I lost that marriage at five years sober in 1995, I was devastated. 
And uh, I came to the old guys, you know, in the AA, and they said, oh, Tim, we, we don't know, buddy, but just keep helping drunks, son. Just keep helping drunks. And so I kept helping drunks. And as I said, you know, that has saved me time after time. But I guess uh, I'm helping drunks one year. I'm helping drunks into the second year, you know, being single. Then all of a sudden, one day I thought, hey, going, God, I don't mind helping drunks, but I certainly like a female partner to help drunks with if you don't mind. <laughs> Should have never done that. <laughs> How? There she was, right in the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous. It was a miracle, you know? Oh, my gosh. On paper, we looked like one of the best AA couples in history. She was five years more sober than me. She was involved in AA. I was involved in AA. So we did the normal thing. We, we dated the mandatory three months and got married. <laughs> <laughs> We had a big AA wedding, sponsors there. Oh, dear. That marriage lasted eight months, eight months. And when it went down, now I'm about eight, nine years sober. I mean, it was awful. I mean, and now I'm on my knees asking God, what is so wrong with me? What's so broken in me that I can't have a decent relationship? And of course, I came to AA, guys, and the, you guys said the same thing. Well, Tim, just keep helping drunks on it. It'll work out. <laughs> But here's what I want to share with you. Now I'm almost 10 years sober. And a strange thing happened on my way to long-term celibacy in Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> Remember my most frequent wife, I call her the mother of my children. I was back living with my dad again at 10 years sober after that divorce in the program. And I got a call from my most frequent wife. <laughs> and she was down in South Carolina with the kids and grandkids. I guess she heard about what had happened. Now, keep in mind, here are two people known each other since we were 17 years old, been married and divorced three times at this point in time. We're 52 years old at this point in time. And for some reason, the walls had always been so high for us that we couldn't get over them. And anyway, I drove down to South Carolina that weekend to spend some time with the kids. I got a separate condominium. And, but on that weekend, for some reason, she and I talked and we agreed to be friends and work on a friendship. And we agreed to be parents and co-parents and co-grandparents and really work on that. And, you know, the walls that were always so high between us, for some reason, that weekend didn't seem to be as high. We got back to Louisville and I started to date her. <laughs> we never dated. We just got married a lot. And uh, I would take her out every Friday night. And I did that for about six months. <clears throat> and then we finally moved in together. That was about. 20 years ago, about 2020. And what I wanted to share with you is that this past November the 28th, we celebrated our 50th gross wedding anniversary. <laughs> so you I'm, added all the times together? Uh, I'm not, that's the gross. We got married in 70 and 2020 was 50 years. I think the net's about 43. <laughs> Here, here's a great story. You got to love this. You got to picture this. We went to our uh, 40th uh, high school graduation once we got back together <laughs> and we walked into the room and everybody went, oh, look, they're still together. <laughs> 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 and I thought, there's no way I could tell these people that story. <laughs> but I'll tell you this. Let me let me share this because this is so important. As crazy as that sounds, you know, uh, I remember talking to Don. I said, Don, is this crazy? And he said, yeah, Timmy, it's pretty crazy. But he said, but, but 
if our program is about anything, it's about transformation. And you know the thing about transformation? We don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know how it's going to look. And we don't know who's going to be involved. You know why? We don't transform. God does. You know, my friend Bob in Minneapolis talks about we plant the seed. We keep the weeds away from it and we water it, but we don't grow it. It grows when God wants it to grow. And, you know, I have to tell you, that has to be what's happened here. We are the best friends today. We are so much in love today. I don't like to be without her. She and her friend went down to South Carolina yesterday to a place that we have down there. And I'm lonely. I'm, I'm lonely without her anymore. We've become so close. And, and I say that because that is what our program is about. That's what the 12 steps are about, transforming from one person to a different existence entirely. And what I know today is I could not do that. She could not do that. But you all told me that God could would, could and would if he saw it. And I say that because, you know, I don't know who listens to this, but Boy, all along those points along the road, I mean, a lady in California told me one time after she listened to my story, she said, Tim, sounded like you came to a lot of periods in your life. I said, oh, boy, I had a lot of periods. She said, let me tell you something. God doesn't use periods. He only uses commas, only uses commas. And if you think right now, you know, you're at a period in your life, you're wrong. You know, the problem is God doesn't tell us what's behind the comma, right? <laughs> we have to suit up and we have to show up with the faith that if we try to help God's kids, you know, God will help us. And that's all I can tell you, as crazy as that story sounds, you know, we, uh, we're living a life right now. We have eight grandkids, two great-grandchildren, another one on the way. And um, if nothing else, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that, that story is about what I think this whole program is about. You know, it's about God's mercy, certainly, for a guy like me who messed up just about everything that you could possibly mess up in his life. And to be 72, almost 73 years old now, and 31 years sober, and to have the life I have today, it's, you know, it's strictly something that was outside of human power, you know, as, as our book talks about. Uh, and I have no illusions in my mind anymore about that. You know, it's got to be God's will in my life and not mine. I have so much enjoyed our time together, Tim. You got choked up there toward the end, and I got choked up well as well. And that's a beautiful story uh, and, and on many different levels. And I'm so appreciative of you taking time out of your schedule to come in here and record this with me. I do appreciate it. I know we were talking a little bit on the front end about like, okay, this is a podcast. This is a little different. You know, I don't know yeah. exactly what to expect. How was your first podcast? I go, okay. Oh, it was great. You made it very easy, John. Very easy. Looking at your smiling face here. It was just, it was a lot of fun, actually. Ah, oh, well, God bless you. Yeah, I wish, you know, it, as you know, we are Alcoholics Anonymous. I would absolutely love to put these things out on YouTube for other people to see. But as you know, I, you know, I, I just try to respect the traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous and, uh, and not do that. So, but, but you, but this is absolutely fantastic. At least we have yeah. your audio and, uh, hopefully, uh, you can, uh, 
use this to share with sponsees or something if you want, you know, to yeah. get them, they can yeah. know you a little bit better that way. That's a good idea. I'll do that. You know, we're, we're moving into a new age now. And there's a lot of different ways to carry the message. And, and certainly this has become one of them. So I appreciate your service, John, and taking your time to get the message out. Oh, you're welcome, my friend. Well, God bless you. I always end it here with page 164 from the big book. I'm going to read here. Uh, it says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and Mr. Tim here. As you trudge the road of happy destiny, may God bless you and keep you until then. Namaste. Once again, thank you so much, Mr. Tim. God bless you, and I hope our paths cross soon. Same here, John. Thank you. Mr. Tim H., you are the man. I so much appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to sit with moi and record your story. Thank you so, so much. God bless you and your family, and I hope our paths do cross again very soon. Now, on to a little bit of a listener feedback. Katie writes in, oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you, we don't want you sharing your gossip, but we do want you sharing this episode with a friend friend or family member. It may be just what they need today. Now, on to a little bit of listener feedback. Katie writes in and she says, greetings from Kentucky. Well, my goodness, we were just visiting with Tim, who's from Kentucky. This is, oh, what a coincidence this is. I cannot even believe it. Eh, maybe she knows it, maybe she doesn't. But nonetheless, greetings from Kentucky, she says. First things first. Thank you for making Sober Speak happen every week. I look forward to a new episode every Friday. My Friday nights sure have changed over the years in a big smiley face. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting that when I first thought about when, what day of the week I should release an episode on, if I was going to do this on a weekly basis back in the beginning when I, I didn't really know what I was doing. But nonetheless, uh, most people uh, in the podcast world re release their episodes on like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Those are supposed to be the best days. But I thought, we're going to have a bunch of alcoholics listening to us. They may need something to keep them busy during the weekend. And so I decided on Friday. So that was an alky logic, an alkyholic decision. But anyway, uh, she goes, my Friday nights sure have changed over the years. She says, you cheer not cheer. <laughs> she, she says, you chair each episode with such grace and your speakers do a fantastic job of carrying the message. Well, I definitely agree with the second part of that. The speakers we have in here do a, grand, a fantastic job. Do I share it with grace or not? I, I don't know. I guess that's up for debate. But then she puts thank you in all big capital letters and three exclamation points. She says, how can I get the info for the yoga Zoom meeting you mentioned? 
Could you please send me an ID password? I would love to add something like this to my week. Thank you again. Have a great day, Katie H. Well, as you know, Katie, I replied in... uh, directed you to the Sober Speak web website, and you click on that little Sober Resources tab at the top, and all of the Zoom ID and info is there. And I uh, hope to see you soon on one of those episodes. That's that sounds great. Um, Lorraine posts in the secret Facebook group. Uh, this she oh she was posting regarding episode number one eighty five, uh, which I believe is the one right before this, uh, called Steve L. God's Amusement Park. And this is to this is not to me. She's posting to everybody that's in the group. She says, "I love this share as I do all the shares. I especially enjoyed the ending where his description of God's amusement park is so detailed in my picture brain that I haven't stopped thinking about it. And all the people I have come to love in my recovery groups are all there in this description." And then she got a big red heart and a big purple heart. And she says, amazing share. If you haven't heard it, and once again, she's talking to all the people in the group, please do XX. And then she puts, thank you, John M for your podcast and everyone involved. Rain. Oh, oh, wait a sec. Oh, oh, here it is. Rain, R-A-I-N-E in big capital letters, the Kiwi and all of her posse in the Isle of Wight, W-I-G-H-T, UK. I'll be listening for our shout out, please. Triple X. Well, Triple X, right. Well, you know, well, kisses, you know, I'm talking about. Anyway, my, my mind digressed there for a second. But anyway, Yes, uh, I'm glad Rain and Kiwi and everybody in the Isle of Wight is listening. And there's the big shout out. And thank you so much for your kind words about Mr. Steve L. and God's Amusement Park. And, and I think you're right, Lorraine. If somebody hasn't heard that, episode number 185, they should go back and listen to that. Jeannie, yeah, Jeannie writes in. I'm sorry, I'm looking at the letters and they're kind of going together on me. Jeannie writes in. She says, John M., my name is Jeannie and I live in Washington State. My sober date is August 21st, 2020. I became sober during the pandemic. I have only known Zoom meetings and podcasts. Oh, wow. You know, and we're starting to hear more of that. I, I think that's absolutely fantastic. However you got sober is absolutely fantastic. Hope you can get to a real live meeting eventually. I like them. They're kind of fun, but nonetheless, she says, your podcast has been a daily listening essential for me. It is, it is so helpful hearing others' testimony in your interviews. It makes me think more introspectively. Sometimes I imagine you asking me the same questions and how I would answer them. It has really helped me figure out what makes me tick. That is so cool, Jeannie. Um, she says, thank you for your service to our community. Jeannie C. from Washington. Well, Jeannie C. from Washington, thank you for listening and thank you for your service to our community. We're all in this together and I appreciate you writing in. 
G, wait a sec. Okay, okay, so this one's a genie, and this is a gene, but it's got an e, e on the end, a G-A-N-N-E. I guess you could pronounce this genie as well. This is a gene, genie palooza here. Oh my goodness, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I'm so sorry. For those of you who hang in there and listening to listener feedback, <laughs> I I appreciate you hanging with me. I just hope I don't ruin it for the actual people who have taken time out of their schedule to write in here. But anyway, Gene or Jeannie says... I live in Jacksonville, Florida, and on June 9th, I will celebrate nine months sober. Well, good for you, Jean slash Jeannie. I am so happy for you. She says, this is not my first rodeo, but this time I have fully embraced the program I never did in the past. I'm a little late to the game as I'm 56 and was court-ordered here at 18, but better late than never, exclamation point and a smiley face. She says, I found you on other and other apps through Transitions Daily. Thank you, Jean. I'm just going to, cons- I'm going to think it's Jean B. And then she puts her last name, but I will not be saying that on the podcast. So I guess this is a B is like her middle initial. So W, I guess, is actually her last initial. Nonetheless, thank you so much for writing in from Jax, J-A-X. I am very familiar with Jax. Thanks again. Derek writes in and the subject line is grateful for sober speak. Good morning, John. My name is Derek R. And I am great. I am a grateful and recovered alcoholic. I'm 42 years old, and my sobriety date is July 27, 2015. I just want to be clear that when I say I am recovered, I mean recovered from a hopeless state of mind and body. However, I unfortunately have not recovered from my defects of character as of yet. You and me both, Mr. Derek. But I do have a book, some steps, a fellowship, and a higher power all in a program of recovery that help me on a daily basis if I choose to utilize those spiritual tools and take action. I reside in Titusville, Florida, and I am originally from St. Albans, Albans, Vermont, where I did most of my 22 years of alcoholic drinking where I cause so much pain for the people that love me. The fair-weathered friends and drinking buddies are not in my life, but those people that have a problem with my drinking back then are still in my life and or in my heart. There are a few people that I make a daily living amends to, which I have, uh, which have passed on, which is my mom and my dad. I want to thank you, John, for your guest speakers, for sharing how the program of AA and a higher power turned their hopelessness into strength. It has taken me just over a year to catch up and listen to all of the Sober Speak podcasts in their entirety, even the sober feedback, laugh out loud. (laughs) Well, now you are actually on the feedback, Mr. Derek. Uh, I have gotten so much strength and hope from their shares and I have passed on some of the wisdom I have heard because that's what we really do get. I'm a big book thumper because it's one of the 
tools which saved my life and is definitely a textbook for how to live my life one day at a time. I use it as such. I work steps 10, 11, and 12 on a daily basis because that's where I live in these steps. I heard on one of the podcasts that 10% of the program is steps 1 through 9, and 90% of the program is 10, 11, and 12, which is so very true. You know, I think think that was Gary Kay who said that, but I, you know, I really like that. I should use that more often myself. I think that's great, Derek. Thanks for reminding me. I have found a new freedom and a new happiness as a result of my willingness to ask for help from people and praying for guidance from a God that I believe in, have faith in, and trust wholeheartedly with my life today. Let go and let God is so true and it works for this real alcoholic. God bless you, John, for your service to others and carrying this message of hope with gratitude, Derek R. And then he he added this, P.S. This is a photo of the sunrise from this morning while listening to your most recent episode with Julia Kay on my daily meditation walk. Oh, and it's such a beautiful picture with the the sunrise and uh, oh just just beautiful thank you for sending in that photo i sure do appreciate it derek you have a good rest of your day and week my friend and finally i think this is a finally yes laura laura writes in and she says hi john i live in raleigh north carolina and i am a grateful member of al-anon i have found recovery and the AA and Al-Anon community in 2018, one year after my sister-in-law passed away from the disease at the age of 43. While I wish I had found Al-Anon sooner, I know my higher power guided me to recovery when I was ready to receive it. I have become an Al-Anon and an AA geek. I love learning about the history of our programs, the traditions and the concepts, but most of all, I love service work. I really appreciate you, how you have woven the spirituality that comes with service work into various episodes, as I feel like that's where the magic happens. I am currently my district secretary, as well as Zoom support for my district and some other things too. Even though I work as a full-time lawyer, uh, by the way, your thank you, uh, you are welcome from us alcoholics for keeping you very busy, I'm sure. (laughs) I don't know what kind of lawyer you are, but I know (laughs) that we alcoholics do keep lawyers very busy. Anyway, she says, I keep volunteering when my HP gives me the nudge. It's my way of meeting new people and giving back to the amazing community here in North Carolina. I haven't yet I have yet to find someone in Al-Anon or AA I don't grow to love and appreciate. I truly believe the people in AA or in Al-Anon are among the best our good earth has to offer. Oh, I think so too. She says, I absolutely love Sober Speak. I listen to it when I'm working around the house as part of my nightly routine. Your your interview style is so engaging. I love how you let people tell their stories. Don't interrupt them, but ask them some questions to let us listeners know what to know to keep the conversation going. 
I probably didn't read that right. She says, I also love your sense of humor and your sincere acknowledgement of those moments that are truly moving. While I know you never profit from sober speak, and I know that's part of your program, I know it must be a ton of work on top of your regular job. And selfishly, I kind of want you to do it full time for more episodes, exclamation point. But I will re-listen to old ones when I run out. Uh, <laughs> smiley face. You know, I, I've, I've had people ask me about that before. I've thought it, I'd like to do like three or four of these a week, but I, you know, I just can't. Uh, I got to put uh, food on the family for my table. And like you said there, uh, my job does keep me really busy. But thank you for the sentiment. I do appreciate it, Laura. She says, though I'm sure it's a labor of love, I also want to share with you my appreciation for your wife and your kids uh, and for the gift you and they are giving to the world. Oh, that's nice. Uh, I'll make sure that that they know that. Uh, And, you know, they do have to make sacrifices. And this podcast has become a part of their life as well uh, in many different ways. And they help me with it. Uh, and they're very uh, patient. They know that I'm going to take time to do these things. And, uh, you know, I just love my family to death. And I'm so glad that they are they're on board with this thing. I really am. I heard on NPR that there has been an alcoholism pandemic in Australia during COVID, and it always makes me smile to know that many of our Australian and New Zealand cousins, hey, if you're listening out there, Australian and New Zealand cousins, we're thinking about you, Laura's writing about you. She says they are finding sober speak during listener feedback. It's amazing how much hope and joy and laughter you have brought to so many people. You're so sweet, Laura. I really appreciate this. From the Al-Anon perspective, let me just say this. AA storytelling is a special brand of heartbreak, humor, and redemption. You're a very good writer, Laura. That's a very good way to put that. Let, let me read that again. From the Al-Anon perspective, let me just say this. AA storytelling is a special brand of heartbreak, humor, and redemption. Very well put. She says, I love that I have a great laugh at least once an episode. <laughs> in, in true Al-Anon fashion, I hope one day that my husband will find his way to AA in your podcast, but that's up to his higher power, not mine. While he found sobriety in July 2020, he is not in a recovery program, and sobriety has so much uh, has so much harder, oh, sobriety is so much harder than I could have imagined. As Matthew M. said, if drinking doesn't make you work the 12 steps, sobriety will. Yes, it will. I am so happy his health has improved, but it is so incredibly sad to witness a white knuckling, dry, drunk, healing with the grief of losing his older sister, mom, and others in the past five years in a constant state of rage, isolation, anxiety, and depression. I know he would love the recovery community and finally find his place in the world and gain the family he is now missing entirely, but it just hasn't happened. 
So with that, I will wrap this up, but I may ask you for your prayers for us and for him to find serenity. Well, you got it from me right now, and I will continue to pray after this is over, just kind of by myself, off to the side. For those of you listening, I pray that you will throw a little prayer up there for Laura T. and her family, and that God's will be done. Um, well, I'm sorry, I, I, I lost something to find him. I appreciate any and all HP vibes coming our way. <laughs> I like that. I appreciate any and all HP vibes coming our way. We have a lot to be grateful for in a wonderful life, and he just can't see through his anger and resentments. Thank you for your absolutely wonderful and life-changing podcast. It gives me so much hope and humor anytime, anywhere, and any place. I love the Sober Speak live events. I haven't had one of those in a while. I'm sorry, folks. but And I really enjoy when you've replayed speaker tapes as well. There are no bad episodes. It's impossible for me to choose a favorite. Jimmy D, Matthew M., Jared, Brenda J, Vinoy, Angie B, and Shannon M were all special to me, and they all are. Thank you again for your service and making me so very proud to be a member of this fellowship, the very best fellowship on the planet. Exclamation point, Laura T. Oh, Laura T. That was a you are you're a great writer. I wish I could write like that. I can't. And uh, thank you for writing all of that. God bless you. God bless your family. Keep me spoke posted. Uh, I was just in North Carolina recently. Anyway, God bless. Uh, that wraps up another week, folks. I'm taking this one week at a time. I will hopefully make it back next week. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Bye-bye now. Love you guys.